Coming up on The Exam Room. To this day, even people who are trying to eat more healthfully, they still sneak salt into these yeah. health foods all the time. Yeah. What kind of damage is actually being done in terms of accelerating the aging process with sodium? So the number one cause of death of humanity is our diet. Right. Okay, and then the question is, well, okay, like what about our diet is the worst? Number two is inadequate fruit consumption. Number three, inadequate whole grain consumption. Then inadequate nut and seed consumption, inadequate vegetable consumption, mm. right? So those are four of the top five. So actually four of the top five killers in our diet is actually not getting enough plant foods. Huh. But number one, sodium. Wow. Number one dietary risk factor for death is excess sodium because it damages so many different organ systems. We tend to think, oh, it's just like, you know, it's a blood pressure thing. And, oh, my blood pressure is fine. I'm not going to worry about sodium. No, it does all sorts of terrible things to your arteries um, and your kidneys and your immune system. And on down the list, we were not meant to get this kind of sodium. We have very little potassium in our diets. And we really kind of switch things around. Yeah. Right? Because I know th this is the audience that needs to hear it because they're like, I eat my fruits and vegetables. But now, and why do they put salt in everything? Because it's taste enhanced, right? We evolved with this desperate need for salt. There wasn't KFCs on the savannah. There wasn't salt shakers. There weren't. <laughs> and so we were like desperate to get, to, to have a salt taste. Otherwise we die, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you can get all the salt you need from whole healthy plant foods, but we developed this real deep taste, just like, you know, for caloric foods, for sweet foods. You got, you know, we were evolved in a, in a, in a context of starvation and in not enough sodium. Right. So. And so the food industry digs into these natural biological yearnings to kind of turn it against us and to sell us garbage. For sure. Um, and uh, so it's just a cheap way to increase the palatability of crappy food, right? <laughs> or crappy quote unquote food. And we're really suffering because of it. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Victorville, California, Chattanooga, Tennessee, and Barcelona, Spain. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 98 of season 6, number 494 overall. And this is a very special episode because Dr. Michael Greger is back. And his new book is one that we all just have been clamoring to read. How Not to Age. Guaranteed to be a bestseller, no doubt about it. This one is all about aging the way it's supposed to be. We're talking about being healthy and happy and independent and thriving until we move on to our next adventure many years from now. So today what we're going to do is dive inside the chapters of this massive project from Dr. Greger. It's a project that he says was the single largest research endeavor that he has ever embarked on. And we're going to be talking all about this gargantuan book and the, get this, 13,000 different references that it originally contained. 13,000. So many that when he turned the book into the publisher, they said, whoa, 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 whoa there, buddy. That is way more than we can fit into a single book. We have to chop this thing in half. But... 
One of the more interesting parts about the conversation after the edits were done with the book was what he did with all of the stuff that otherwise would have wound up on the editing room floor. My friend, he said there's no way we're not going to use this information. We are going to make it available to everyone. And so they came up with a way to do just that. And on this episode, during the conversation, what we're going to do is tap into all of the age-defined potential that nutrients have to offer. And then we're going to pump the brakes a little bit because there's a red light ahead. You know, we're going to get into the foods that may speed up that aging process. Maybe that sprinkle of salt or a splash of spirits is not such a good idea after all. But then we're also going to flip the light back to green and then nerd out big time with some healthy nutrition nuggets. I mean, we are talking vintage Dr. Gregor here. Why polyphenols are more potent when they're consumed with fiber. And speaking of polyphenols, why red grapes are better anti-aging options than green grapes and seeded grapes, why they may also be a better option than seedless grapes. Right, So a whole lot of nutrition nerddom to come, and we're also going to have some fun. Learn about his great aunt Pearl. We're going to get to know Dr. Gregor a little bit today. We're going to learn about his great aunt Pearl, whom he dedicated this book to, plus his love of Asian grocery stores because of their incredible produce sections. And also, we talk a little bit about this obscure study showing that cola drinks are actually healthy. Yeah, I'll repeat that. Cola drinks are actually healthy. But as you might guess, the science in that is a little bit off kilter. He's going to explain to us why it is so skewed. So this is definitely a fun interview. And if you're an exam room VIP, it's one that you may probably have already heard. I mean, that's the perks of being an exam room VIP. With our top tier interviews like this as an exam room VIP, you get to hear them not one, but two weeks before everybody else. And it doesn't cost you anything to become VIP. All you need to do is head over to pcrm.org slash exam room VIP to sign up to get early access to these interviews like Dr. Gregor's. And then you also get a bunch of other perks too, right? Being a member of a club comes with these perks. So we've got exclusive pre-sale opportunities for our big live shows like the ones that we did out in LA, New York, and most recently here in DC with the Esselstyn family, plus live virtual Q&As with our experts, including some on the horizon with Dr. Neil Barnard. And we will be getting into his new book that comes out in the spring exclusively with our exam room VIPs. All of that and a whole heck of a lot more. So pcrm.org slash exam room VIP to sign up today. And yes, my friend, there is a link to do that right now in the episode notes. And then after our interview with Dr. Gregor today, there's some really wild research on the foods that we crave the most and why we do. But I'm telling you, these results might just surprise you because I know they sure did with me. So I've got details on that study coming up in just a little bit. But right now, we turn our attention to Dr. Michael Greger and How Not to Age. It is a powerful, voluminous work and a roadmap to a longer, healthier life. 
the new book, How Not to Age, the latest, the greatest from our guest today, who himself is the greatest, Dr. Ah, Michael Gregor. Very sweet. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. So glad that you're back and congratulations on the new book, man. I, uh, it's the uh, biggest research project I ever took on in my life. I believe it. You know what? So this uh, is close to, what do we have? 600 pages in this plus, but it was actually originally how much longer? Yeah, over, it was over 1,200 pages. Yeah, and so the publisher refused to publish it. What? Um, it just goes too long. I mean, you know, no one's gonna, I mean, they just, it's too expensive to make a book that big. Um, and so they, I said they had, I had to cut half the words. Um, so what I did is I just took those hundreds of thousands of words and turned them into videos yeah. to link throughout the site. So basically, that's where I show my homework. So I, I, all the recommendations, everything's in the book. Right. But if you want to know kind of how I arrived at like this supplement's good, this supplement's bad. If you want to know why, here's all the science in this video. Right. So made uh, hundreds of new videos just for the book. To, so we didn't lose a word of the 13,000 citations. It's all in there. It's just, uh, it's, uh, so it's actually, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I'm, it, uh, it was quite a project. I, I bet, like, level with me. I mean, how long did it Year, take? Three years. Three years. years. I yeah. believe you could. I mean, have I, I wasn't. I, I yeah. I, I was not prepared. I didn't know there was that much in the anti-aging literature. Um, I mean, I thought it seemed like, I don't know, it seemed like such a kind of peripheral field. But there's just huge. I mean, there's entire areas of medicine and science that that didn't even exist when I graduated medical school. So it was just like learning from complete scratch. And the more complicated the book is the more valuable it is because like, look, if it took me this long, I mean, no one's got a chance, right? I mean, I, I mean, it took me obsessing all day, every day for year after year. So that's great. I mean, if it was something simple, it's just like, well, anyone could write this book right. and why am I even doing it? So I really felt like kind of flexing my muscle to, yeah. to put this together. And so I'm really happy how it came out. I can't wait for everyone to see it. There's just so much juicy, interesting, yeah. Absolutely. And look, there's a link to uh, order your copy right now in the show description or in the episode notes or go down to your local book retailer. Say, hey, I want to learn how not to age. My and friend. your local public library. There it is. There, there it you is. go. Can't forget the good librarians in the world. Yep. So what is the Dr. Michael Greger writing process like? Do you just hole up in a room in your house and just dive headfirst into research? It's really, yeah, it is a lot of immersion process. And so I actually moved to uh, rural Virginia, like in the middle of nowhere, uh, living on the side of a mountain, kind of a Walden's Pond writer retreat kind of action. Okay. Um, uh, thankfully, there's a lot of like DC expats out there, so they actually have good internet, which is just nice. like, try to find some place in the middle of nowhere with good internet like it's not a it's a it's a tough venn diagram but no found a spot um and so it was perfect the pandemic the pandemic was perfect pandemic was great everybody just i mean, just wanted to tell you right um uh i mean because i mean you know because i didn't have to be near an airport i didn't have to travel and so i could really focus and so you know we have a whole huge team now that just can churn through the literature and uh, really put it together so I opened the book, I got the galley here, and I'm thumbing through what do I want to talk to him about, and only a couple of pages in, you get to the dedication for my great aunt Pearl, oh, 1911 yeah. to 2015. Yeah. Was Pearl the inspiration for this? Well, I mean, that, I mean, she was always just kind of a, a fixture of the family, and... And, and so, yeah, she was in she was in Long Island, and 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 I'd get to go visit. We had a lot of family there, and uh, so it was just. I mean, like you can talk to her about like 
So how was the 1918 pandemic? How did, I mean, like, <laughs> like that's amazing. Yeah. Like how many people are around, you know? And so you could have this like, I don't know. So, I mean, I, I, mean, I was just kind of a history geek. And so it's just like, oh my God, like yeah. you lived through it. Like, what was it like, like on the ground? Not like the, what was the, the politicians doing or all the stuff that gets written down, but it's like, you know, ah, it was, yeah. It was was she a storyteller? Oh yeah. I mean, Spin so, yarn yeah. as my grandma would say. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know if any of it's true, but I mean, it's, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. No, it was, that was, it was, it was, it was great. So, so my whole childhood, I was able to enjoy that. Was she an anomaly in your family or do the Gregors have a lot of well, longevity? Um, well, we're, we're Ashkenazi Jews. And so we, I mean, there's a, there's a gene mutation that actually um, uh, interferes with your IGF receptor. Right. And so there's this cancer-promoting growth hormone, which is boosted by animal protein intake. Um, and so, and so the, there's this longevity cohort within the Ashkenazis, and they have really high IGF-1. And so that was like, what? How can you live long? It's because they have a, a defective receptor. Um, and so, so the, the body is like, I'm not getting any IGF-1s. And so they just keep making more and more. So you end up with high levels, but very little IGF-1 activity. And so you get this long life. Um, of course, you could... You don't have to. You know. You don't have to have the genes. All you have to do is cut down an animal protein, and you can have the same effect. Right. 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 Cut down an IGF one activity. But yeah, that's one of the kind of longevity syndromes. Um, and so yeah, we have a lot of. Uh, now, not all of them were necessarily healthy. Right. In the old days, and that's right. a critical piece. I mean, like, who even wants to live a long life if it's in decrepitude and you know, cognitive failure and, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, it's funny. There's actually an interesting survey in the book where it says, how long do you want to live? Um, and they gave like, I forget, it was like, you want to live 60, 80, like uh, 100 and something or like forever. And people are like 80. I'm like, who would pick 80? And then they followed up being like, oh no, in good health, how long do you want to live? Everyone says forever. I right. mean, then the value, oh, and so, but in their mind, they're like, they can see so many people around them with just failing health. And it's like, I don't want to live like that. Um, and so, so it's not just about lifespan, but health span, the number of years and um, health. Um, and so, yeah, so uh, address both in the book. You know, do you, is it your hope when you write a book and you put this research out there that you have like steeped yourself in, that people will understand that there's, by and large, we do have a choice between what do you want 80 to look like? Yeah. Do you want to be old and decrepit at 80? Or do you want to be that I'm going to live forever? at 80. The or, majority of us still think 80 is old. Most people won't even make it to 80. Wow. Right. Period. Yeah. Right. Um, and in fact, you know, thanks to the pandemic, we've actually shrunk our uh, lifespan here in the States um, significantly. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, so yeah, so both are critical. And so I spend, you know, it's like four books in one. The first uh, part is going through the 11 aging pathways. What we can do is slow down the aging process. Second is kind of optimal anti-aging regime where I talk about the blue zones, talk about the longest, healthiest living people around the world. What are they eating? How are they living? Mm -hmm. and what, what lessons can we learn from them? And then the third part really gets to the health span issue, which is my kind of preserving function, where it's preserving your bones, preserving your mind, preserving your teeth, preserving your vision, preserving, you know, on down the list, going through all the organ systems and like, what's the best, you know, for your skin? What's the best? Um, and then ending with um, Dr. Greger's Anti-Aging 8 to complement the Daily Dozen from the original book, um, how, not to, how Not to Die. Um, and, you know, just to try to pick out, yes, there's just been this mountain of thousands of interesting factoids and 
actionable information actually, you know, fit into your daily life. But like what, let's step back and be like, what's the really important ones? Let's not get lost here. Right, right. Um, so that's, that's where the eight came from. So of the eight, how many are common in the standard American diet? None. <laughs> yeah. None. none. Wow. None. And, and proof is all around you. It is. It is. Yeah. You know, it, there is, there's a major, major, major decision that we make. Um, I want to ask you here, you write about, we talk so much about food, but you also have beverages covered oh, in yeah. here. Um, there are a lot of people who think, well, you shouldn't be doing juicing because you need all of that fiber. But in a lot of your research, you showed like there's a lot of positive effects that you can get from drinking healthy juice. Juice that doesn't have a ton of added stuff. We want the fiber. What are you talking about? Of course Come we on. want no, the no. fiber. Okay, so smoothie. Oh, right. Smoothie, I'm down Let's talk. For. Let's talk. Okay, so, right. smooth, oh, so smoothie, you're not losing anything. Okay, see, I mean, it's very common to think like, look. I eat so healthy, last thing I need is extra fiber, so why not just have some juice? But you don't understand that uh, the polyphenols, I have a whole, that's in fact, part of one of the anti-aging, I talk about these polyphenols, these, 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 these phytonutrients found in, in particular, uh, predominantly fruits and vegetables, that uh, we think are responsible for many of the kind of the benefits of, of, of eating plants. 80% of them are actually complexed to the fiber are actually locked on the fiber and are only released into our system when our good gut bugs eat the fiber, release the polyphenols that get absorbed through our colon wall into our bloodstream. Mm -hmm. right? So, but that's 80%. So most of the polyphenols are attached to the fiber. So when you juice, you're not just getting rid of the fiber, you're getting rid of 80% of the polyphenols. That's why we're eating that fruit. And so, so people is like fiber. I get enough. no. You're losing all that. Mm. And so that's why we want the whole fruit. Look, you can blend the fruit. Right. Look, you can juice, juice the fruit, and then put the pulp back in. Right. You can have, you know, I don't know, pulpy carrots or I don't know, whatever <laughs> you want to do, or make some carrot bread or I don't know. I mean, as long as you just don't want to throw away all that nutrition. What do we know in terms of longevity? How not to age? Like fiber, there. I mean, we were just talking about it, but you know, say somebody their entire life eats, you know, a bunch of grapes every day. Right. Okay. How are they going to age compared to somebody that reaches for that grape juice that you were just saying? I mean, by and large. Oh, well, uh, see, now that's getting a little trickier because then we're really not comparing the grapes to the grapes because grape juice, like purple grape juice, is made mm -hmm. from Concord grapes, which okay. have those those potent um, pigments that are missing from the so-called Thompson grapes or the pale green grapes that people tend to eat as table grapes. Now, if you want to compare Concord grapes to grape juice, that's a different story, but um, you're going to be missing out on those potent compounds if you're just eating kind of the regular grapes. So red grapes, better than green grapes, and but the real difference maker, seeded versus unseeded. Actually, most of the nutrition is found in the seeds, and so by eating unseeded grapes, we're just missing out. And so where do you find seeded grapes these days? Asian markets. So you go to your local, you go to the Chinatown or wherever kind of Asian, and you can get these these uh, these Korean mountain grapes. They're these big purple globules, which really huge, crunchy, delicious seeds. One of my favorite snacks, but you just can't get them like regular places. Huh. Uh, but yeah, so seeded grapes. And so I talk about whether you take uh, um, grape seed extracts, and the answer is no. Uh, but but I mean the, the whole theory behind that is because there's all this great stuff in seeds we want to get at. 
What about then a raisin? A lot of raisins still contain the seeds, but you're extracting no, the, no. the See, it's, it's dry. It, it, no, it's, so they look dark, and you're like, oh, there's some good pigments in there. No, most of the Thompsons. So you take a pale green grape, and you dry it, it turns brown. Uh. Um, and so you, now, currants, not most currants in the U.S. are not actually currants. They're just little grapes. Um, but if you can actually get actual currants, it's a totally different plant. Um, that's more nutritious than raisins. So anything you do with raisins, you do with currants. And anything you do with currants, poof, gojis. You go for the gojis. Go for yeah, the so go. And, and again, go to the Asian markets. You can get these, what they call lycium berries, L-Y-C-I-U-M, or lycium berries, um, or wolf berries. That's just goji. And it's dirt cheap. Cheaper than raisins. Whereas you go to a natural health food store, like goji berries are like through the roof. Um, and they actually have uh, all sorts of... Uh, beneficial effects so that's probably the is that the healthiest dried fruit mm, that's yeah. that's 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 certainly up there right. um and so you know if you're going to put dried fruit on something pff, go for the go for the gojis it seems like you have a passion for asian grocery stores like if, oh, if uh, dr gregor had his druthers to shop oh. only one grocery store is it well, the Asian? I mean, no because greens they got so many they got cruciferous greens you've never you've heard the bok choy the bok choy no they've got they have selectively bred all sorts of crazy cruciferous right and so what do we got we got broccoli cabbage cauliflower collards like there's some real basic oh my god there are some greens in these places talk to me about some of these exotic greens no man. what's, what's a really cruciferous good? greens that's the right so dark green leafy vegetables healthiest food on the planet more nutrition per calorie than anything else we can eat. And then the healthiest of the healthiest is the cruciferous, the broccoli family or cabbage family vegetables, which have this compound that's basically not found anywhere else in the food system. Um, and so, and we miss out. Mm. It's not just eat more fruits and vegetables. You can eat more fruits and vegetables than eat iceberg lettuce and bananas and be missing out on the anthocyanin pigments and berries and all the wonderful things. And so look, all greens are fantastic, but uh, cruciferous got that edge. You really want to try Go to get it. And you can get all, and and I mean you know and look there's all sorts of wacky new fruits. You go to an Asian market and there's like spiky fruits that look like a medieval mace, right? There's like <laughs> there's fruits that are this big, Dude. right? Yeah, right? I mean yeah. you could like you yeah. could get hurt by Legit. you know, yeah. um and weird little spiky things and like you're like you know I I don't know like longanberries and lychees, fresh lychees, not in the can, but like. Oh my God! First, I used to when I go, I used to go see the movie, go to the movies. Yeah, I'd be a big bag of lychees, and I would just be eating lychees the whole. Everybody's time. Everybody's got popcorn. And Everybody you got, got lychees. I got my lychees. That's all right, man. Oh my God! Dude, yeah, you, yeah. Know, you know, what and I'm it's like? not easy to sneak them in because they're kind of bulky. Oh yeah, you know, how does one do no, that? No, no, you like a little backpack. You get a little backpack, and you be like, yeah, you know, and yeah. yeah, you just sneak right in. But it's kind of behind you, so it's not like you're carrying anything. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. No you never problem. got on that no-fly list at the local theater. Oh, uh, here comes that Gregor fella. And if they say something, it's like, no, I'm just going shopping. Who eats lychees? In a, right? You just give them this Touché. look like, what do you, I mean, I just came from the store, right? I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go home. Uh -huh. right? I mean, who walks in? Now, if it was a bag of popcorn, right? But no, it's like lychees. I mean, here's it. Back in high school, I worked at a movie theater. I cannot think of, over the course of those two years, remember anybody come in with any lychees. Oh, uh, well, you know, it's possible to get under the radar. Maybe. Like, yeah, Sneaky. little did you know. People got quite clever trying to sneak some popcorn in there. How do they? Yeah. yeah. Well, all right. Well, here you go. Completely off topic. Yeah, like yeah. It costs like a nickel to produce a bag of popcorn for a movie theater. Oh, and you're paying like eight, nine bucks for it. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> right. Oh, and then they got the coconut oil. It's butter. Brutal, crab. man. It's know, brutal. But that's where probably where most of the money comes, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah these oh, days, there's right? money to be made. And there's money to be made in right. the soda. The only right, cost so really man. for that is the cup itself. 
That's you funny. Know? Yeah. That's funny. So, okay. Yeah, you know anyway. what? Let's talk about this. Popcorn by itself. Yeah. If you're just going to eat oh. plain popcorn. Air pop me, baby. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's good stuff. Fantastic. You're going to age healthfully. Oh, and that. you can even add all sorts of good stuff to it. All right. So you add nutritional yeast. You add chlorella. You could add also. Yeah. So, I mean, you put some chlorella. We call it the zombie corn in the family. Yeah. You know, because yeah. it's like bright green. It stains your fingers. And, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I would stay away from spirulina or blue-green algae, which I found to have toxins at retail level. But chlorella mm. um, uh, is toxin-free and uh, bright green powder. You can sprinkle on anything. So clearly, aging well with that. How does that compare to the store-bought or the movie theater popcorn? Oh, God. Tons of oil, no, tons of artificial uh, flavor. Uh, no, so I mean, the worst is the saturated fat because they tend to, you know, they cover it in that kind of, usually it's a tropical oil, like coconut oil. Right. Um, and then the artificial butter flavor, diacetyl is not good for you. And then the salt is not good for you. Probably the single deadliest dietary risk factor is sodium consumption and so it's just oh it's terrible it's absolutely terrible for you um uh yeah so i guess you'll have to find a way to sneak it in yeah man let's talk about salt for a sec i mean because mm. to this day even people who are trying to eat more healthfully they still sneak salt into these yeah. health foods all the time yeah. what kind of damage is actually being done in terms of accelerating the aging process with sodium yeah so a uh, global burden of disease study largest study ever done on diet and health by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation found the number one dietary so number one cause of death of humanity is our diet right okay and then the question is well okay like what about our diet is the worst number one well so let's let's start with number two number two is inadequate fruit consumption number three inadequate uh, whole grain consumption then inadequate nut and seed consumption inadequate vegetable consumption mm. right so those are four of the top five so actually four of the top five killers in our diet is actually not getting enough plant foods Huh. But number one, sodium. Wow. Number one dietary risk factor for death is excess sodium because it damages so many different organ systems. We tend to think, oh, it's just like, you know, it's a blood pressure thing. And, oh, my blood pressure is fine. I'm not going to worry about sodium. No, it does all sorts of terrible things to your arteries um, and your kidneys and your immune system. And on down the list, we were not meant to get this kind of sodium. We have very little potassium in our diets. And we really kind of switch things around. So I actually spent a lot of time talking about this. In fact, uh, today, the conference. Yeah. Right? Because I know th this is the audience that needs to hear it because they're like, I eat my fruits and vegetables. <sighs> but now, and why do they put salt in everything? Because it's taste enhanced, right? We evolved with this desperate need for salt. There wasn't KFCs on the Savannah. There wasn't salt there shakers. There weren't. <laughs> and so we were like desperate to get, uh, to, to have a salt taste. Otherwise, we die, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, you can get all the salt you need from whole healthy plant foods, but we developed this real deep taste, just like, you know, for caloric foods, for sweet foods. You got, you know, we were evolved in a, in a, in a context of starvation and in not enough sodium. Right. So, and so the food industry digs into these natural biological yearnings to kind of turn it against us and to sell us garbage. For sure. Um, and uh, so it's just a cheap way to increase the palatability of crappy food, right? <laughs> or crappy quote-unquote food. Um, and, uh, and we're really suffering because of it. Tell it like it is. But there have also been people who have come on the show uh, who will tell you that you do need sodium in your diet and adding a little bit while you're cooking not the worst killing thing me. in the world killing me well yeah. no okay no. i mean you can get all the salt so i mean how did that make sense biologically before we mined salt how did we live for how did we exist for millions of years if you needed some salt you don't need to add salt to your foods um all the sodium is found in all natural um foods and you know look 
I mean, fifteen hundred milligrams. Stay stick under fifteen hundred milligrams. You're fine. That's the American Heart Association recommendation. Right. Um, and so, which is almost impossible if you're eating a lot of processed foods, because that's right. where most of the salt is. Right. The salt is really not what you're putting at the table or the kitchen. It really is the processed food. So in that case, I mean, if the person's thinking about 70% of our sodium is from processed food. So, you know, that's really the dangerous thing. And so, right, whether you add a little, you know, a little pinch is, is much less important, but we shouldn't have to add any salt at all. And good news, all sorts of of salt substitutes out there now not just the like salt-free seasonings which are delicious and there's a whole bunch of them and more all the time but they have potassium chloride mm. so we're not getting enough potassium we're getting too much sodium so instead of eating sodium chloride which is just regular salt we have potassium chloride which is potassium salt and um and so you get the same salty taste ooh, without the whole dying thing i mean it's a real i mean it's like it's a, and so no and so i'm going to talk today about you know, this randomized control study, they took um, five veteran retirement homes and they randomized the kitchens to um, either regular salt or ha even half sodium chloride, potassium chloride, which you can't even tell the difference between right. that and full salt. Right, right, right. So everything tastes the same. The only difference with the difference in salt, 40% less mortality, 40% drop. That one single itty bitty dietary change, randomized controlled trial. Salt. I mean, that is serious business. And so wait a second, they didn't lose anything. Tasted just as salty, right? It's wow. like, tastes just as good, right? Wow. So you don't have to give up that salt. Just like if you like sweet, you don't have to give up sweet. Eat a peach. Oh, this is it's peach season. Oh my God! Ripe fruit, right? You, you don't have to give up the salty flavor. There's ways to, you know, enjoy that taste without injuring your health. Interesting, interesting, interesting. But what about you know, like you look at Asian cultures that tend to have greater longevity than we do here in the States. One of the staples of, uh, especially the Korean diet, is kimchi. Kimchi notoriously salty. And guess who has? the number one highest rates of stomach cancer in the whole wide world, Korea. Number two, Japan. And they're eating the same kind of salted, fermented, either fish or vegetables. Um, and you can do interventional trials where you give people these, you know, salty, uh, you know, fermented vegetables. Yeah. And you can actually see the damage in the stomach lining starting within days of consumption. Days. Yeah. And so, and so they have the, I mean, look, highest stomach, rate, stomach cancer rates in the world is a horrible cancer. Um, and it's tied to their highest salt consumption. Mm. And so, look, we love the cabbage. We love the chilies. We love, there's lots of good stuff in there. But the salt to keep some of the bad bugs from growing is not good for us. So there's, there are lots of healthy fermented foods tempeh it's fermented food without the salt um uh, there uh, there's other ways to ferment without adding salt like you do in the kind of the typical kind of sauerkraut kind of making right process. right uh will bolswitz huge on sauerkraut are you a sauerkraut guy well see it's salt how do you make sauerkraut you put it's cabbage water and salt right now so if you absolutely can't give up your sauerkraut you take it you put it in a strainer and you just put it under running water and you try to get as much salt off as possible but you know, still, you know, yeah, ugh, tough, yeah. tough to reconcile. Just eat some cabbage, yeah. or you, or you can, you know, or you can, you know, kind of pickle it in vinegar or something. That'd be great. Mm. Vinegar is healthy. Just make sure you rinse your mouth out with water afterwards, so you don't hurt your enamel. But. Do you, Do you get an opportunity? Speaking of fermented, one of America's favorite foods. It's not really food, though. Guys, during football season, will tell you it is beer. Fermented. Beer. Yeah. How does alcohol factor into the aging yeah. equation? Yeah. No, that's a big. Yeah, it's a big no-no. Yeah. And so I t and you know it's a big change, it's a big shift um, in our in our understanding. 
So there's this famous, I mean, like the, the longevity is like red wine. It's like this, like, well, you want longevity? Oh, do I got to drink a lot of red wine? Um, and so for two reasons. One, they thought this resveratrol, this compound found in um, the skin of grapes was helpful. But then when you actually put to the test, you can triple one's rate of brain loss as you age by taking a resveratrol versus placebo. Wow. So if you think you have way too much brain, and you want to have much less brain, you should pay someone to make to shrink your brain. That's what resveratrol does. Okay, but there was this concept that moderate alcohol consumption was better than teetotaling. Um, and so there's something called a J-curve, the famous J-curve, where, and so this is kind of mortality versus amount of alcohol. And so, yeah, uh, when you drink a lot of alcohol, the higher, you know, then we know that's bad. Okay. Right. But then, instead of going straight down, there was this little bump at the end. And so people drinking, you know, like one or two glasses a day seemed to do better than people completely abstaining. It turns out... That was a kind of statistical artifact of what's called the sick quitter effect. Why don't people drink alcohol? Is because they had some horrible health problem. They had to, and they were forced to stop. So that's why you see, for example, higher cirrhosis rates in in uh, abstainers than in drinkers. Just so wait a second. More liver cirrhosis in people that don't drink at all. Why aren't they drinking? Because they got liver cirrhosis, right? So there's this, there's this uh, sick quitter effect. In fact, there's studies that show that people that quit smoking may live shorter lives than people that continue to smoke. Why? Because the people that quit were running into serious health problems, and that's why they're dying early. So when you actually control for that and just look at lifelong abstainers, right? Lifelong abstainers, oh, then straight up and down curve. The lower the, lower the amount of alcohol um, you consume, the lower uh, level of disease, less mortality, all the way straight down. And so the, so the sick quitter effect is why we thought alcohol, moderate alcohol consumption was helpful. Now we know it's not. It's carcinogenic. Um, and we just really should uh, eliminate it or minimize it as much as possible. Do you realize the gravity of your work to be able to interpret those studies for the lay audience to be able to look beyond the headlines, look into mm -hmm. these really complex publications, these studies that the average person doesn't even begin to know how to interpret and then to be to put it into the pages of your books and on nutritionfacts.org and really help people see things beyond what we're being told. I mean, it's the headline, are. right? So I mean, but that, right, I mean, what sells papers? What sells clicks? It's like, of course, you've got to have these headlines. you got to give people good news about their bad habits. you got to kind of flip <laughs> things around. I mean, and so it's like almost the antithesis. Like, it's like, you know, the most profitable foods are like some of the worst foods, like brown sugar water. That's how you make money, not something that rots on the shelf that's perishable, like fruits and vegetables. It's like there's just these perverse incentives. Same thing with media and nutrition. But, you know, this, you know, this is these are not my analysis. This is very clearly what's in the medical literature. There's lots of editorials written about it. There's lots of scientists that have dedicated their lives to this. So this is not some remarkable insight of mine. This is just going to the medical literature and saying, oh, this is where we are. No one's going to tell you about it because it doesn't sell anybody anything. It doesn't mm -hmm. sell newspapers. It doesn't sell magazines. certainly doesn't sell alcohol. But very clear in the literature. But yeah, so it's just bridging that gap. Peer-reviewed medical literature, kind of the gold standard of what we know about the most important reason any of us die, our diet, right? So there's this amazing amount, there's this mountain of important data, and then it's like, how do we get that to the public? Right. right? I mean, the science is there, just like with smoking. Since the 1930s, we were linking lung cancer with smoking, but it was just like, 
you know, it was published, you know, no one goes in the basement medical library. And, you know, I mean, and so it, the science was there. By the time the first Surgeon General's report um, was published in the 1960s, they cited 7,000 studies. Think after the first 6,000, it could give people a little heads up or something. <laughs> no, but this is all society. The American Medical Association was telling people smoking in moderation was actually good for you, beneficial, positive. Most doctors themselves smoke. Average per capita cigarette consumption, 4,000 cigarettes a year. Average person walking around smoked half pack a day. Every, so the media was telling you to smoke. It was just normal. And we're in the same situation today where bad food causing these epidemics of dietary disease is just normal. That's what the doctors eat. Mm. That's what everybody does. not So the, here's the mountain of data. It just hasn't translated into you know kind of the consciousness so we can't not wait until society catches up to the science again we need to take control of our own lives mm. follow the science so yeah in 20 years maybe we'll figure this out but you know how many people have to die before that happens well here's where it gets tricky because unlike smoking when it comes to health and diet i mean we we do have the body positivity movement and you never want anybody to feel bad about what they look like or who they are right but it's really hard to even begin to have these conversations unless you get accused of fat shaming even i interesting who once weighed 420 right pounds right. have been accused of fat shaming right and it's right not right. about that oh yeah yeah no so i mean I think what that movement, kind of health at every size movement, has really contributed is this emphasis on how horrific this fat shaming culture, this this stigma attached. Mm -hmm. um, but where they go too far is when they start questioning the science on the mm -hmm. health. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, they, they just want to, it gets to the point where they say, oh, and it's actually not too bad for you. And there's this, you know, so-called obesity paradox in literature. And it's just not true. You can't go there. Yeah. Um, just because, I mean, then, then unfortunately, you're going to be dismissed. And all that really important message that you have about the stigma and about how we really have to change our society to remove that prejudice Unfortunately, you're going to just be sidelined because you're making these wild, baseless claims. Um, and, I mean, it's just we cannot, having that excess body fat, particularly that visceral, deep yeah. belly fat, um, is just metabolically dangerous. I mean, look, and it's so much easier to continue on the path that you are. And believe me, the old me would have, like, globbed right onto that and just been like, see, it's, it's, it's okay. And again... I, nobody should be made to feel less than everybody. I honestly believe this in my heart of hearts is equal, but you can be just as good as anybody else, but that's never going to change the facts about what's happening inside. Man. You know what I mean? Man. And it's like, you got to get people to open their eyes for yeah. what's really going and, you on. You know, but it's, it's hard, you know, I mean, so on a population scale, absolutely. But on yeah. like an individual basis, I remember, um, I had a, a fellow medical colleague who smoked, right? And I was just like, finally, actually took them aside and said, like, come on, dude. Like, seriously, well, yeah. I mean, I love you, and I'm doing this completely because I care about you, and I think you're going to do amazing things. And, and he was like, this is why I don't have my heroin habit. So he was a heroin mm. addict. And now he's replaced heroin with smoking. I'm like, okay. All right, all right, uh, I'll, I'll buy you a pack. What yeah, are you, right. I mean, you know, it's just like you never know what's really going on, yeah. right? And yeah. so, you know, for us to be like, I know what's best for you, it's like, look, it's your body. 
Your choice. You want to go bungee jumping? You want to not wear your seatbelt? You want to, you know, disconnect all the smoke alarms in your house? Like, you know, look, you do you. But just don't do it under any illusions that it's healthy to go bungee jumping or skydiving. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, you can weigh the pros and cons. And for you, it might be different than me. We have different risk tolerance and everything. Sure. But just understand there and don't try to convince yourself oh it's really not that risky or whatever it's just like go in with a you know if i'm gonna do this risky whatever i should just know like the yeah. predictable consequences of my actions and that's all i feel that's my entire life is just like here 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 if you do this this is likely to happen if you do this this is more likely to happen and then go do whatever you want to do um it gets a little more trickier when then they're feeding their little kids you know, right. crap, and you feel like, okay, well, that adds kind of another kind of ethical layer. But look, you're a consenting adult, and you want to eat donuts all day. Um, you know, as long as you don't think that, as long as you're not convinced by the donut industry that they're helpful for you, yeah, go for it. Is there any redeeming health quality about the average donut, just out of curiosity? You know, there, there, I did run across one study that found that Coca-Cola was good for you. What? There was a, co there was a study. No, and it was like. And who funded this? No, it was like, no, like gallons of Coca-Cola. I forget. You know why? Say compared to milk. It was like milk or Coca-Cola. Oh. And I was like, this has to be the only study where Coca-Cola actually comes out good, right? They're talking about dairy milk. I wow. forget exactly what they're studying. But I was just like, yeah, only, only. <laughs> Somebody thought to compare the two? Yeah, That's yeah, hysterical, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. I was just like, all right, I've never seen this. But yeah, an interventional trial showing Coca-Cola um, was, uh, was preferable. Yes. Yeah. So in case you were wondering, uh, what's actually... <laughs> worse for you than coca-cola it's milk that's not let's let's how none of the above please but yeah right but see so now here's the thing here's how the the typical mind will work well you know then coca-cola must be healthy if it's healthier than milk. Uh, healthy, the average yeah, right. person thinks well the milk you know is still i mean i mean i think that's an important thing that we're not great at it's is you know we have a lot of black and white thinking and it's like food isn't so much good or bad as it is better or worse because food is like a is like a a, 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 a zero-sum game like there's an opportunity cost anytime we put something in our mouth there's a lost opportunity to eat something even healthier yeah. so when you say are eggs good for you well compared to breakfast sausage yeah Compared to oatmeal, not even close, right? Yeah. Is fish good for you? Well, tuna fish, I'm better than the bologna sandwich, okay, but hummus blows that out of the water, right? I mean, right. so it's like, and even like something like bananas. Bananas are healthy, well, not compared to blueberries. Mm. I mean, so if you have a choice of what to put on your, you know, oatmeal or whatever, and you have the access, then yeah, okay, technically that's better. Now, mm. so I mean, it's, so it's all on this, we can all kind of ramp up, you know, every time we think, oh, you know, I always put some, some, you know, some berries and greens and beans on things, yeah, just kind of ratchet up the nutrition. Are you, yeah, you know, somebody was telling me they like, they don't like to spend a whole lot of time cooking, but what mm. they do like to do is like, they'll get the cleanest pasta sauce they can find. And okay. then just like you said, add a oh, whole bunch of for, fresh yeah, go vegetables crazy. to it. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, and just you know, pile them and, in there. And you know, I mean, you can just get, um, you know, no salt added stewed tomatoes or something in a can. And so then they don't have the oil added. They don't have the salt added. Um, you know, or you can just start from tomato paste or whatever. So you can get something just as convenient as the jarred sauce, but without the sodium. Where do you weigh in on the white pasta, whole wheat pasta, lentil, chickpea pasta? Oh, which one are we going well, for? Well, I mean, uh, so probably the healthiest would be the legume. I mean, you, you can't beat legumes. Right. In fact, the single food 
Um, uh, most associated with longevity in this uh, in the global burden of disease type of legumes. So legumes for longevity. You heard it here for <laughs> hummus for health. That's the way to do it. Put that on your so t-shirts, all, boys and girls. So, um, so right. So some kind of lentil pot, but I just don't like the texture. Mm. Um, I've just now I've tried chickpea. I've tried all sorts of, um, and so go back to whole wheat. Whole wheat. So yeah, I mean, so yeah, so but but yeah, I would definitely pre- and actually prefer the 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 flavor and and, and kind of bite of uh, whole wheat pasta versus wheat. refined grain. But but really, the most important thing is like what you're putting on it, right? right. I mean, if you're just dumping massive amounts of vegetables on it, then like it doesn't matter what for sure pasta you're eating. Right, well, to that end, if somebody piles a bunch of fresh vegetables, they go to the Asian market, they're getting those oh, cruciferous oh, oh, vegetables, talk to me, but they talk put to me. them on top of a Big Mac, man. Can you <laughs> offset the Big Mac? You can offset a lot. Can I mean, you really? You, uh, it's crazy. Like, so you put you put a slice of avocado on a burger, and it reduces the amount of inflammation that you get from the burger. Shut the fuck Now, Miami doesn't eliminate it. But no, you do all the, there's all these studies where you like drink a milkshake with or without some, you know, healthy plant food and you can get significantly cut down. Wow. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's a little, there's kind of an information hazard with that because there's like a lot of studies showing that. So for example, bro- smokers that eat broccoli because broccoli boosts your detoxifying enzymes in your liver, you can really cut down the amount of carcinogens flowing through your system if smokers eat broccoli. And the question is like, yeah, but telling smokers to eat broccoli, the concern is that it'll delay them quitting, thinking, well, you know, I'm like, 100. I'm, I'm, I, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I, 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 I'm kind of moderating my risk. It's actually not too bad now, and it's just like. Like, so is someone actually going to smoke more and actually have more damage if you tell them about the broccoli effect? Now, the way I fall on that, and I can understand both sides, is people deserve a right to know, period. Yes. Um, and that, yes, smokers should be told, but they should also be told the absolute best thing you can do is not smoke at all. Um, and so, same thing. Like, uh, you know, people who eat meat, I'm like, there are cooking methods that you can use, like the, the moist methods, like steaming, stewing, um, uh, boiling, that significantly cut down on these advanced glycation end products, these so-called AGEs, these gerontotoxins, these pro-aging toxins that are formed when you expose muscle tissue to high-temperature heating, the, the, the baking and the broiling, the barbecuing, the frying. Um, and so you can significantly cut down um, by changing, uh, you know, methods. Now, is that going to be like, oh, well, then I'm just, you know, eat chicken soup instead of, you know, grilled chicken and I don't have to cut down it further. That may be a risk, but you deserve to know um, while still saying, yes, but the chickpeas in that soup be even better. Yeah, I, man, I agree. You were spot on there. And it's funny because the old me, again, would, would uh, you know, look at that study you can eat broccoli and undo some of the damage of smoking that'd be a hot damn i got me a green light to fire up man (laughs) where's my pack of luckies baby it's time to puff and and it was actually a significant effect like you could actually measure the dna damage in people's um in people's body um you know and and what was remarkable oh the same thing you you eat broccoli a week before a barbecue right and those polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons you actually have less because your liver was your liver was so boosted its detox from the broccoli you ate. Now it was a lot of broccoli. It was like two heads of broccoli, but it was a week before and your liver still churned out. And so, so your barbecue was less harmful a week after the, 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 you know, the, the, the total broccoli. What's the, what's the best method for cooking broccoli? You don't want to grill it. I, I wouldn't assume hmm. you steam it. Whichever raw. way will get you to eat the most broccoli there with the is. exception of deep frying. 
deep frying is bad. Uh. I'm not actually talk about that today. No, but so beyond kind of vegetable tempura or something. <laughs> you heard it yeah, here. First. Whichever, whichever way. I mean, so you you like it steamed? You eat it steamed? You like it? You know, because the differences really like even the the nutrients really most sensitive to heat. Something like vitamin C. So like steamed or microwave broccoli has about 15 percent less vitamin C than mm. raw broccoli. But so fine if you ate six florets of steamed. You get as much as five florets of raw, and if you're more likely to eat those steamed, to go for the steamed, right? Right I mean, on. Right? I mean, look, if you like raw, that's fine. I mean, you know, so really, that's really where most of it falls. And similarly, like, you know, I do these videos like, this is the healthiest apple, right? Like, you know, this is the one with the least nutrition. And, you know, really any apple. I mean, whatever apple you <laughs> like is the healthiest apple for you. But if you're like, I don't Give a damn what kind of apple I right. eat. I really don't care. Okay, yeah, then choose this one over this one. And so, they, but but it's just like, but let's take a step back, people. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But uh, but people do love to know what's they number love- one. Be- why? Because they want to feel as good as possible about themselves. And if they're eating that healthiest uh, apple out there, then damn you. it, they're a winner. Right, right. Yeah, and the healthiest lentil and the healthiest bean and the healthiest whatever. Absolutely. Um, right. You just don't want them to to you know be like, okay, well, no, I'm I'm yeah. eating the healthiest apple, so my yeah. Big Mac is not that bad. <laughs> Put a couple of apple slices well, and they, eat an avocado on the side. You're good yeah, to go, it's, people. Uh, it, 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 well, it's, it's better. It's yeah. seriously better. And yeah. it's remarkable that those little tweaks. You know, we test a lot of foods um, separately. You know, so like glycemic like index, classic thing where they give people, you know, food and see what happens. But you typically don't eat just kind of one thing in a meal. And so it really there's all these effects that occur together and slow your gastric emptying time and all sorts of things. Um, and so it's really an understudied field. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you think about how, um, you know, we want to uh, we want to kind of maximize nutrition by eating a variety of different um, fruits and vegetables because it's like apples and oranges. Really, there are apple nutrients that aren't found in oranges, orange nutrients that aren't found in apples. Um, and so by broadening the diversity, we're getting all the, and so you can do all sorts of cool studies where you give people like, one was like a zuki beans and like some other, some like weird fruit, like I don't know how they, Pick those two, and you had significantly better outcomes than just eating the beans or just eating the fruit. Um, and because there was some kind of synergy that happened um, between them, yeah, so, yeah. So, so there's actually a recommendation: fifty different foods a week. Wow. 50. 50. Now, that mostly is because they want people to eat uh, different types of fiber. Sure. There are literally hundreds of types of fiber um, and found through off. And so you want to feed your microbiome. You want to get this richness down there than eating. So that's the 50. And it's a, and But like everything counts. Like, you know, use a, an herb or something that one. I mean, so it's, you can actually ratchet up that gotcha. pretty, pretty easy. But yeah, but that's interesting. All right. Let's wrap up with this. Uh, how not to age, not just, you know, aging healthfully, but a lot of people, especially uh, the women who are... Are watching and listening to this right now they want their skin to look good for Damn. as long as possible man what are some of the foods you think are the ones that are going to keep you looking your best well i mean the number one uh n- number one in terms of 90 percent of visible skin aging sun exposure wow so sunscreen gotcha i mean that, i mean there's just absolutely no i mean nothing else comes close okay now there are other things you can use topically and kind of for inside and so you can actually get inside out sunscreen protection by eating for example beta carotene rich foods or um, or lycopene rich foods like tomato products so you have people eat tomato paste and they actually do these studies where they um, I don't know why they're always burning women's butts, but it's because <laughs> no, they, they actually have these these UV rays because they don't want to have like burns on them, right? You can do it on the arm. I right? got you. So they have to do it with something that's kind of covered up. 
so, up so the butt. So so and so they 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 so they study after study. They took these women, they burned their butts, and then before and after eating, you know, tomato paste or some kind of placebo, and you see significantly less, less redness, which is a sign of inflammation and DNA damage from the UV rays. Um, and so you, so what's nice about that kind of inside out sunscreen protection is you know it gets all the hard to reach places. It's twenty four seven, and so a lot of people it's like oh it's cloudy. I'm not gonna wear sunscreen. No, a lot of those UV rays still come mm-hmm. through. Um, and you know, so people forget or wash this off or whatever. Now the protection is much lower than you get from sunscreen. So it's not uh, in either or, but sure. it is kind of a complimentary. So I talk about a lot. So a lot of it comes down to, um, sun protection, but then I talk about all sorts of things like, uh, topical nicotinamide and vitamin C and talk about people should really stay away from retinoids, this retin-A, um, uh, which is, which is, is, uh, shown to be really quite effective in reversing some of the um, uh, aging damage in skin, but also may kill you. Oh, may increase your risk, Increase your, your risk of death. A small percentage is actually absorbed in your system. We think there was a very concerning study that uh, until we know better, I would stay away from topical retinoids. You get into collagen at all? Talk about collagen, talk about everything. Everything you've got, like Botox, fillers, like everything. Everything aging is in the book. And so it's like the best we know about every topic in aging, the anti-aging drugs, so-called, they, I mean, every supplement that you've ever heard of, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's cause I, I, I gotta cover everything. Are we, uh, final question, are we too collagen obsessed in this community or, or in this nation? Cause I feel like a lot of people think that well, if I just get as much collagen as possible, I'm going to look like I'm 30 years old until yeah, the no, day I die. No, so, so it's interesting. So it's kind of like, a, you know, it's like the, the, the little kernel of truth that makes the low, that, that actually supports the low carbers, you know, the low carbs are, oh, you got to cut down on carbohydrates. Well, I mean, if you're talking about donuts, in fact, that's what most carbohydrates, refined junky carbohydrates, right. like, you know, soda. Um, and so cut down on carbs really in the United States of America is actually, yeah, if you're talking about that stuff, but then of course I go way too far and they're like, yeah, so don't eat a sweet potato, which makes no freaking sense. Right. <laughs> but so, so collagen critically important right. for uh, skin health, for joint health, blah, blah, blah. But you don't get, uh, you don't improve your collagen by taking collagen. You improve your collagen by boosting your production of collagen. You do that by making sure that you get enough vitamin C and it's actually higher than the recommended daily allowance. So I actually recommend. And so you get 90%. They did these nasty experiments on conscientious objectors um, during the World War mm. where um, these, these peaceniks refused to fight. And so they, they literally cut them in to, to study wound healing with different levels of vitamin C and found, that, oh, actually 90 milligrams for um, optimal college production, which is actually higher than the RDA. Um, and so there's other things you do to kind of boost, make sure you're not vitamin B12 deficient. Right. Um, important uh, for collagen as well because uh, the homocysteine interferes with cross-linking. So all sorts of all right sorts on. of cool stuff. Yeah. Ah, I can't wait for everybody. So to So much, this. so much. I'm I'm just gonna flip through and get the exact number of citations that are in this book really quick. It is quite impressive. Here we go. Final page, final citation that I see: eight thousand three hundred sixty-three. And that's because 5,000 got turned into books. So it was 13,000 citations, but I had been cutting out uh, half the book. We uh, 5,000 are all online, but everything is all uh, hyperlinked online. You can download the original PDF yourself. Man, you are a busy individual. That was a full three years to put this piece I was, together. Uh, I was tight. Yeah, I have no doubt. So the book 
how not to age get your copy the link is down below or go to your local library and all proceeds from sales of all my books is donated directly to charity there it is dr michael gregor congrats on the release my friend thanks so much If you have not yet ordered your copy of How Not to Age by Dr. Greger, now's the time to do it. And there is a link to do it in the episode notes. So go ahead, click on that and give yourself the gift of health as we head into this new year. And if you're an exam room VIP, you may have already found that link because you had the opportunity to listen to this interview or watch it on YouTube two weeks before anyone else. So go ahead. If you're not yet an exam room VIP, become one for free, because not only do you get early access to these big interviews like the ones with Dr. Greger, but also you get exclusive presale opportunities for our big live shows. We did one in L.A., then in New York, and then in Washington, D.C. as well this year. So who knows where we're going in 2024, but as an exam room VIP, you will get early access to tickets for these big live shows that sold out, and we would love to have you join us in 2024. So pcrm.org examroomvip Sign up for free and raise your health IQ with us and have a little bit of fun along the way. Now, one of the things that I wish that we had more time to talk about with Dr. Greger today was the role of ultra-processed foods in aging. And there's this study that absolutely stopped me in my tracks that I want to share with you. I mean, the headline alone kind of makes you do a double take, especially at first, because keep in mind that ultra-processed foods tend to key in on three things that our brain loves. Sweets, salt, and fat. And so when you put those three things together, your brain kind of sits up and it says, hello, thank you, may I have another? So here's the headline though, off of this new study. This is what stopped me in my tracks. The headline reads, new research finds that ultra-processed foods taste no better than less processed foods. Say what now? Yeah, new research finds that ultra-processed foods taste no better than less processed foods. Boom, right? That's kind of a mic drop type of a headline right there. So let's dive into the sweet, sweet nutrition science here. These findings come to us from the smart folks at the University of Bristol's Nutrition and Behavior Group over in the UK. And so 224 volunteers offered to participate in this particular study. And this group was shown colorful images of a bunch of different kinds of foods. All of these foods very well known. So there's no real mystery to these things, easily recognizable. And these foods have varying degrees of energy density, which is a fancy way of saying calories. And some of the foods were super processed, but others were more on the natural side, and they had a lot in between. And they also had varying degrees of carb to fat ratios. So just a couple of the foods that were on the list here that they were testing, avocados, grapes, cashews, olives, blueberry muffins, pepperoni, and ice cream. I don't think they put the pepperoni and the ice cream together, but both of those are on the list. That doesn't sound very appetizing, no matter what diet you're used to eating. So anyway, there are about 50 different foods all in all. 
And the volunteers in the study, they rated these foods for things like whether they tasted good overall, how sweet or how salty they are, and how much the picture, just seeing the picture of the food, made them crave it. And researchers say they were able to use those ratings to confirm whether our perceptions of how sweet or how salty a food is matched how much sugar or sodium the food actually contained. Now, here's where things get super interesting. After tallying the results, on average, the ultra-processed foods appear to be no more crave-worthy than the minimally processed and more natural foods. But there's a big caveat there, a big but, because the study also finds that foods that had an equal amount of calories from carbohydrates and fat scored higher than those that got the bulk of their calories from either just fat or just carbs. And researchers call that the combo effect. And I suppose that's what gives ultra-processed foods the upper hand, because they can be engineered to have that combo effect 100% of the time and trigger that bliss point in our brain instead of just relying on nature to have that roll of the dice and hope that it nails the same formula. So the game, when it comes to food, is a little bit rigged in that regard. And this next part, I really couldn't help but to think about our friend Dr. Will Bolsowitz. I know that he's going to love this part, and I couldn't be rolling my eyes anymore if I tried. Because the results also show that the foods that pack a fiber punch, I mean, really had a lot of fiber in there, they didn't tend to be craved nearly as much as the foods that didn't have very much fiber in them at all. And researchers here say that is mainly related to that level of sweet and salt that is in the foods. Oh, Dr. B. Sorry about that, buddy. Don't know what to tell you. Wasn't my study. But the findings are nonetheless absolutely fascinating. And if you would like to delve into them for yourself, there's a link to the study right now in the episode notes. And also there is a link to follow us on Apple Podcast or subscribe on Spotify for free. And if you feel like you have raised your health IQ by a point or two today, go ahead and click on those links. Give a follow. Go ahead and subscribe. And when you do that, please also leave a five-star rating and a nice comment because that helps us climb a little bit higher in the nutrition podcast rankings. And every time we climb a little bit higher, somebody who needs to hear this information, I mean, really needs to hear it because they want to improve their health. Well, it's right at their fingertips. We want to be right at the top, make it super easy for them to change their life. So help out, help change some lives, help make the world a healthier place by subscribing and following with the links that are in the episode notes. But for today, that is all the time that we have, my friends. I want to say thank you once again to Dr. Michael Greger, his new book, How Not to Age, on store shelves right now, or click that link that is in those same episode notes to pick up your copy today. And for everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based. Plant-based.